Hi, welcome to Mimi. I'm Mel. I created Mimi as a safe space for creativity, a place for creatives to come together, get inspired, and find help through accessible coaching, free resources, and fun workshops and masterclasses on everything from branding, surface design, illustration, and more. The Mimi podcast is basically a really good excuse for me to chat with amazing people, from illustrators and designers to photographers, makers, and more. In today's episode, I chat with Diane Villetsden, a photographer based in sunny LA. Diane is one of my favorite photographers, and it's easy to guess why when looking at her work. It's colorful, bold, quirky, and sometimes surrealist. We talked about a journey from studying linguistics to photography, a process when it comes to editing her work, and where she finds inspiration. We also chatted about a love of passion projects, what she wishes she'd known when she started out, and how she handles the ups and downs of freelance life. It was so fun getting to know Diane after having loved her work for so long. I hope you enjoy! Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I love your top. Thank you. It's very on brand, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> and I like the the very kind of well-placed banjo. Is it a banjo? It is a banjo. I've been taking lessons for almost a year now. Oh, that's so fun. How good are you? Or are you just enjoying, um, you know, learning? I mean, I would say that I'm like proud of the speed I'm kind of able to get to now because like you're supposed to go really fast. Um, when you get good but I would say that I would still make tons of errors while performing so like I have a ways to go (laughs) that's so fun ah that's amazing that you're good at musical instruments I'm so terrible I just don't really it doesn't work no my brain I do feel like it's like a case of having it or not like a musical ear or something I just don't have it but it's fine but you know yeah, I mean, you have plenty of other talents, so... <laughs> yeah, but you do too, so it's cool that you've got music. Well, yeah, I try to, like, you know, I take so much in my life seriously, especially when it comes to my work, that, like, I try to let music just be a total recreational pursuit with no expectations for myself, but that's easier said than done, because, like, I do want to be a good banjo player, but, like, why does it matter? <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. It's so funny because that's something I've talked with so many people about is the idea of learning new things and wanting to be good at them and not being able to like just enjoy learning or just enjoy doing something without, you know, excelling in it. Right. I think that's something and I feel like this is even content we could talk about, but I I feel like that's something I've been working on is like when you're in a creative career, it's like so difficult to just let things be like part of an experimental process instead of like having a focus on the outcome. And I I struggle with that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, let's start at the very beginning then. So you're in California, which is, I keep on saying that everybody knows I'm obsessed with California. So it's pretty amazing. (laughs) And you were like raised near San Jose where you are now, right? Correct. So I want to know about your bringing. What was it like growing up in California? Yeah, well, I think to clarify, first of all, I think when for international listeners, I think everybody has this idea of California as like, no matter where you live, you walk out onto a beach and it's like always sunny. And, you know, they think of L.A., I think, with all the palm trees and the beaches. Um, But I'm in Northern California and that's where my heart is when it comes to California. Um, And we do still have lots of sun here, which I would say you know, is a big influence in my work as it is today. Um, And growing up here, I mean, 
I couldn't have asked for a better place to grow up. And I think in some ways that's made my life challenging because anywhere else I go, I'm comparing it to California or like specifically the Bay Area. And so it's kind of a joke that like once it gets its teeth in you, it's hard to leave. Despite the cost of living, despite its problems, it's difficult. But yeah, I think growing up, I was kind of a weird kid. Like I was always like doing all these crazy hobbies, like, and this ties into my current work. I was really, I thought I wanted to be a cinematographer or a filmmaker. And um, I would take books I had read and write screenplays of them and make my friends act in them. And (laughs) they were really horrible, like super cringe worthy films now that I look at it. But I would get these ideas in my head and just like, I had to execute it as soon as possible. And I think that that has carried me to where I am. But yeah, I I was really lucky too that I grew up with lots of support of art. Like my school had an after-school art program as well as just like a great art class as part of the curriculum. Um, And my parents, I think, sensed from an early age that it was important to me. So I remember at like age five, I was doing, I forget, it's like a specific type of Japanese art, I think, where you press fish onto paper that has like, you paint the fish and then press it onto paper. And I was doing that at like age five as like a random art class. Like that's one of my earliest memories of art. And then from there, I would just like do paper crafts, do painting, anything I could, any materials I could get my hands on. And Being outdoors was also really important to me. Um, Like my friend Hannah and I, who was also one of my very first portrait subjects, um, we would always be just like wandering around in the backyard, making potions, pretending to be cats, all this crazy stuff. We we spent most of our time out there and we like thought it was magical. There was, we had an orange tree in my parents' backyard and it was kind of like the consistency of jello, the oranges were. And so we have this like fond memory of eating the jello orange under the maple tree. So like very kind of idyllic outdoor life as a kid. That sounds so nice. And you know, it's interesting because I had a a question for you about cinematography because looking at your work, for me, there's such an element of cinema as well and almost like that thing between reality and film and and ideas. And it's so funny that you wanted to do that when you were a kid. And I was going to say like most directors started out doing that. I remember reading about Tim Burton and I think seeing films that he made when he was really little and like same thing in his back garden with like, a you know, they all did that. So, I mean, it's not too late. You could still be a cinematographer if you want it to be one. I mean, yeah, that still kind of calls to me. And I do think that like, actually my heart has always been in motion, but the technical or like, it's just so much more of a production value to create motion. And so photography has been more approachable like in the past 10 years or so. But I do think like one of the next steps I'd like to take is directing more films or I mean, like maybe that sounds like I'm jumping to the top too quickly, but like, you know, working with a DP to produce a film somehow. Like, I'm not even sure of all the logistics, but like, I do feel a calling to motion still, which would be like a very cool full circle to me to compare like my super cringe childhood video to like a modern film. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it would be so different in ways as well, but you still already, you collaborate quite a lot. Because I was going to say, I feel like, a lot of photographers might be working a bit more 
on their own and sometimes they work with teams, but making a film, it's like you have tons of people working together to make the film happen. Right. So it's more of an yeah. effort. Well, and I mean, on that note too, I think that's actually been part of my downfall in my creative pursuits is maybe this is part of my childhood too. Like I'm an only child. And so I mostly did everything by myself. Like a lot of the ways I entertained myself as a kid were by myself. And so if I needed XYZ for an idea I had, I had to do all of those elements. Um, and I mean, of course I involved my friends and my family and stuff, but I think that that has caused me in modern times to think I still have to do everything myself. And it's only been in recent years where I've worked on bigger projects that I realized like, oh, there's a production team that can <laughs> do all these things. So I'm not doing props, wardrobe, set design, set building, shooting and editing. Like I really have been a one woman show for so long that like, that's another part that appeals to me about the film world is um, I mean, and photography too, but like with film, I feel like you really do need a team of people. Like you can't get by without a team. Um, so I would like to venture in that direction. Yeah. And I feel also like, I don't know if you struggle with that, but I do. It's the idea of when you collaborate, you need people to get on board with your vision. So, or, or, you know, everybody needs to be happy with the vision and this, this whole thing of like, I'm not an only child, but I find it really hard to maybe it's not even explaining myself, but be like, no, I think I'll do it better myself. You know, that really annoying thing. Do you have Absolutely. that as well? Absolutely. Oh my God. You're that's, you're preaching to the choir because um, I think I mean, part of succeeding as an artist is having a vision that you're really like you passionately own. And I feel like that's a little bit necessary to be like, I know the best way to do it. And I have this specific vision in my head that I couldn't possibly articulate to anyone else. But like, <laughs> it can't be that way. So I think we're always pulled between like, to get the best result, I need a team and I need to be able to communicate my vision. And I also, over these past few years, have learned that like letting go a little bit has often given me better results anyway. Working with a prop stylist, I'm tempted to be like, oh, I think it should be set up like this. But then I have this really great prop stylist, Natalie. And in the past few years, we've had like repeat gigs together. And it's gotten to the point where I can just be like, I trust Natalie to just make this arrangement and we can tweak it together. But like, it has been like a, a deep release within my chest of just letting someone else take control. And of course, like it takes time to get to that point. And I think that's why part of my workload still suffers because like, I still believe I'm the only one who can edit fully, like the whole post-production process I need to oversee or execute every single part of it because otherwise it's like not my work. Um, and maybe that's probably flawed thinking, you know, like I'm sure that I could train someone, but it's also an investment on that side. So I would say in many areas, like I struggle with trying to take it all on myself and like not letting go or not. And, and that's been a lifelong issue, like in school projects too, you know, I've always been the one that wanted to like have it my way. And Call that an only child thing. Call that a an, a temperamental artist thing. I don't know, but I'm working on it. I think a lot of us have it. I'm sure like a lot of people can relate with that. But it's really interesting. And I think, again, thinking back on films, that's probably why directors and DPs usually work with the same people over and over again, because that's what you want to do is create relationships where you trust the people. Exactly. I, I think relationships are so critical and it's also work to develop and maintain those relationships. I think I still have a long way to go in that department because 
as an introvert too, like, I think that's a whole other level of struggling with my career at times is like, part of it is just like social, like getting coffee with someone or, you know, like having random calls with people just to like establish a connection. And I think that that's really hard for me to do. Um, Not that I, like, I think I do that pretty well. It just takes initiation and that (laughs) energy to like put myself out there. So I think it's just, it's so critical, but it's also so difficult. And like those relationships are also what makes me like when things get dark, you know, like when I'm thinking, oh shoot, is this the right career for me? Or like, I don't have any work right now, or I just feel like, you know, I'm having issues emotionally. I feel like those relationships are what pulls you out of that. And so it's kind of like a catch 22, like the more you struggle to maintain them like the farther you fall where you need them so (laughs) yeah it's tough I know exactly what you mean I find it I don't know I don't think I'm an introvert I think I'm in the middle but it is draining and I think as an illustrator I don't need to be as social maybe as you would as a photographer but I mean maybe I'm just, just me saying that to myself but I yeah I completely understand I was researching you obviously lot I mean you know I love your work I've been obsessed with your work for ages but I didn't know much about your journey to becoming a photographer and I read so you need to tell me about this that you got a BA in linguistics in 2015 how did that come about and then how did you go to photography from that yeah well thank you first of all for being a longtime supporter of my work and yeah how did I get here Well, long story short, I mean, you know, I talked about wanting to be a filmmaker in my childhood, and I always had some sort of camera in my hands from age eight to now. And um, while there was that really strong creative side of me, there was also a very strong academic side of me. Part of it was like growing up in Silicon Valley and the school I went to, like there was this huge culture of be a doctor, be a lawyer, be work in tech, you know, all these um, very traditional academic paths. So both of those really pulled me. And I had when I, like right out of high school, I had dreams of and I was really into music at the time too. Speaking of the banjo back there, um, I had dreams of double majoring in basically linguistics and music theory. And I went to this random small college in Washington State called um, Whitman College for my freshman year. And I really struggled with the lack of sunlight there. Um, And so I quickly realized, and it was just like a little bit too small. Like I thought I wanted a really small college atmosphere, but I don't think that that was the right choice for me. So long story short, I ended up at UC Santa Barbara. um, And that was the best place for me. Um, and I was studying linguistics there. Uh, the music thing kind of fell to the wayside, although I did play the carillon, which is the bell tower. And that was really cool. As I was there, I'm not even sure there was like a moment right before I started at Santa Barbara, there was a moment where I just like had this calling to make more portraits. Um, like I, so I kind of taken photos of my friends in high school and I even had a photography class senior year that was like Hannah, the girl I mentioned earlier, I took photos of her and like my photography teacher had a pretty strong response to them. So I kind of like had a sense of maybe I'm good at this. But then I, right before starting at Santa Barbara, I had this calling of like, I want to take pictures of people. 
And I'm really not sure where it came from. Like, I, I don't distinctly remember wanting to pursue photography or like thinking it would get me anywhere. I just wanted to take pictures of people. And, you know, I think too, photography has always been like such an instant medium, like packing up for college, you don't have to like bring a, like a canvas and all your paints and all your mixed media materials. I just had to bring a camera and my laptop, which I'd have anyway. So I think part of it was the convenience and availability and at Santa Barbara, I, with my roommate, I kind of just started making random portraits. I did self-portraits. And then I got into the idea of maybe doing senior portraits or like something I could charge for. But I had barely built up my portfolio in anything. So I posted in the Facebook group, Santa Barbara free and for sale, like where people <laughs> sell random stuff. I posted, hey, like, I'm trying to build up my portfolio. Does anyone want their photo taken? And of course, you know how those things go. Everyone went crazy over it. Not like as a personal compliment to me. Like they were just like, oh, free photos. Like I'm signing up for this. Um, <laughs> and they, I really had no samples of my work or anything. But so I booked 50 people within two or three months. And it got to the point where I was shooting three to four times a week, like after classes around sunset. I really just dove into it. I was nervous about you know, establishing rapport with people and getting them comfortable in front of the camera and as well as shooting on manual mode. I remember distinctly like manual mode gave me so much panic. I even told myself at the time I wanted a 5D Mark II or some like level up from what I had a better camera. And I told myself, well, you cannot get that camera until you're comfortable shooting on manual mode. So I <laughs> was trying to give myself an incentive. And I remember the first few shoots I did with people I was nervous about like making them comfortable or just being normal with them and to like getting the exposure right and like acting like I knew what I was doing, which now looking back, I'm so amused by that because like, who cares? The stakes were so low. It was a free photo shoot. I would probably never see these people again, except like in passing, maybe I had no name to myself or anything like, but that's I think part of how I am. I can't let things go. So I wanted it to be like very professional and perfect. And I remember just like kind of fumbling over the manual settings for a while. But as soon as I really got into it, it all worked out. So with that, like jumping quickly through that all, you know, I, by that spring, I was charging for senior portraits in college, did that for a few more years. And then after college, I was still in that, what I would call retail photography, you know, like weddings, senior portraits, families versus commercial. And so I had really no idea about the commercial world, but I was like dreaming about how can I make photography work for me as a full-time job. And so back to the academic side, I was loving linguistics. I was super passionate about it, but I also realized that to get a job in it, especially in the Bay Area, it was more the computational linguistics side of things, which um, not really into that. Like I I liked the more analog version of linguistics and to work in the Bay Area, that wasn't going to fly. So I really just wanted to pursue photography, but my parents pretty wisely were like, well, you should probably get a real job for a while and then try like build that up on the side. And I was kind of bitter about that at the time, but it was looking back <laughs> the right thing to do because my work was like nowhere near where it needed to be to support myself. I wouldn't have been able to explore what I wanted to explore without having something else on the side. So I got a job in marketing at UC Berkeley. It was at the Graduate School of Journalism, which 
I do mention that specifically because I do think I, while I was there, I got a little bit influenced by like journalism storytelling. It's kind of like a different lens to see things through. And I would say even like more contemporarily, I'm carrying that into my work. Um, I just started this series called Absurdia, where I'm capturing like random scenes in suburbia that are just kind of like weird. And I'm not like doing any styling. They just kind of exist there. So I think like, for instance, that journalistic take on the world is kind of valuable to me. But anyway, so I had this job and on the side, like as much as I could, I was doing photo shoots. And I know this is like taking forever to get to where I am now, but I guess that's how it goes. I recognized that I was still in retail photography and I knew that, I mean, at the time, commercial photography to me felt like fashion photography. Like I wanted to be in fashion photography and, or at least that's what I thought I wanted because I thought it would make me money and it would be creative. I thought of commercial photography as being like stock photos and like really bland ad campaigns. Fashion to me was like a subgenre of like, you could still be super creative and like work with fun models and stuff like that. Now, retrospectively, fashion wasn't probably the best place for me either. So it's kind of funny to see what I wanted to be at all these different stages. But um, I basically started shooting some like lookbook projects for local fashion companies. Um, that got me like, thinking more conceptually and editorially, but it was still kind of in that retail realm. It wasn't until, I want to say it's like spring 2016, where, or maybe 2017, I can never keep it straight, but <laughs> I did that shoot that most people who are familiar with my work probably know, the girl with the grapefruit eyes uh, in like all the monochromatic pink. So that was a shoot in San Francisco, and I had just driven past this pink building. Like it was a two-tone pink building, dark pink on top, light pink on bottom. And I was like, that would be really cool to shoot someone in front of. That sounds so terrible to photograph someone in front of. Uh, everyone knows what I mean when I'm talking about photography. Basically, I came up with this whole concept of like matching the fashion and the styling and the props to the color of houses in San Francisco. I did all the styling myself. I got all the props myself. I did work with a hair and makeup artist. At the time, I was like mostly the only team member I would have was a hair and makeup artist and a model. And I came home from that shoot and I was like, wow, this is what I need to be doing more of. I had been working with so many earth tones and a very different vibe before that. And now with these pastel candy colors, that was like screaming at me, you need to follow this direction. So that was kind of a turning point for me. And from there, it was just a matter of like, I remember visualizing all these shoots I wanted to have in my portfolio. Like I, I remember looking at my website and being like, oh, it's still not where I need it to be. Like these are still not really portraying the kind of work I want to be hired for. And I think that really fueled my drive to just keep making more shoots that felt right to me. And so from there, I just kind of went crazy with planning out these more editorial, conceptual, personal shoots. Jumping ahead, I went full-time with it in 2018. And I think only within the past two to three years, we're now in 2023, I've started to get the work that matches 
what I want to be hired for. Like, so stuff that I'm proud to put in my portfolio as paid work. That was a very long story that I said long story short about. But I mean, that's also kind of my point. If I had known how long it would take to like go through that journey, I think it would have been really daunting and intimidating, but it also had to happen. And um, it's like... A relief to look back on it and see that it happened versus like, like if I had to relive that, it feels really exhausting. And in fact, talking about it feels a little bit tiring because I'm like, wow, I had to go through so many years of wanting my work to be better. And it took all that trial and error to make it better. Do you feel like you still feel that way now? Because I know as an illustrator, I look back on my work from five years ago and I'm like cringing, thinking, oh my God. And I thought that was all right to share or, you know, and today I'll be like, oh, that's cool. But I still, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh no, this is crap. Oh, this is okay. But I have a feeling that in five years I will look back on what I'm doing now and think, oh my God. So do you still feel this way? Because you've evolved so much as well. Um, I don't think I still feel that way. I think I'm proud of my work as it is now and even as it was five years ago now. I think in some ways I even romanticize my work from like a few years past because I think I was less bogged down. Like the irony of getting to a place of successful paid work is like you get bogged down creatively. And so I think I actually think of work from five years ago as being like, wow, I just did that without like making a deck for it and without overthinking every aspect of it. So in some ways I'm like envious of my former self. There were less roadblocks creatively back then. And now I feel more of an expectation for myself to make it totally like maybe I'm less willing to experiment than I once was. Um, And maybe that like, I don't think I'm stuck there. I think that's maybe just in a place I am right now where I feel kind of grounded to like the work I've been creating and maybe not so much as like evolving it. I don't think I would look back in five years and cringe at my current work. I do think I could look back and cringe at like maybe the standards I still had for myself. Maybe the the business expectations or like the communication style or I don't know, like I always am like, okay, I'm never doing that again when it comes to doing another round of edits for a client or um, like tolerating some kind of behavior on set or something like that. You know, I think it was every year and every project I do, my standards get higher. And so I imagine five years from now, I might be like, wow, we're never accepting something like that again, you know? Yeah, it makes sense. Do you think as well, it may be what you were saying about feeling good about what you're doing and, you know, getting, staying with it. Is it to do with the fact that you've been quite renowned for a certain type of photography and brands are expecting you to do something, you know, your thing. So maybe you feel a bit, you know, it's that famous thing. When you're starting out, nobody knows about you. You just do whatever. Nobody cares. But when you're known for something, then it's like, ooh, can I go crazy and do something that's a bit different? That's a really good point, actually. I do think I feel a little bit boxed in by clients because I have it in my head that, you know, they hired me for the type of work that they put in their mood board of mine or, you know, just the things I've been doing. But I will give myself some credit. Like I think with every shoot, I still do run with my, like with what I see in the moment. I don't think I'm thinking, is this in line with my style? Like, I think I still have those instincts in the moment to try something new. But what I do think is the issue at the moment is I'm not creating as much personal work as I used to. Um, And so I think 
that's where I evolve and that's where I experiment. And that has suffered because I just feel so tired with the paid work I've had. Like there's not as much room to set aside time for that. And I mean, part of that is like what I was talking about, you know, finding collaborators that make the process easier. Um, and also just reminding myself that that's where my biggest joy comes from is setting aside that time to feel that giddiness of just like doing whatever I want to do and um, coming home and seeing the photos and being like, wow, this is a cool new thing to be playing around with or whatever it may be. So I think it's partly client expectations and partly just I have things I could be doing to improve that. Yeah, and I think you mentioned something really relevant as well, which is it's important to show work we want to be hired for. And I think this applies to literally any creative work from illustration to photography or design. And that's why personal projects are so good. And it's the same here in photography. It's like, obviously, clients are going to put your current stuff. They can't put something they haven't seen from you in their mood board. That wouldn't work. So right. yeah, if we want to <laughs> do different things, we need to share yeah whatever we want to do next, I guess. So that was one of my questions. I don't know how your, you know, work-life balance is. How is it going? Is it okay? Do you make time for yourself and for, you know, personal things? Obviously the Benjo, the Benjo is happening. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one thing I have going. I would say that I'm really still figuring out the balance. I swing back and forth from feeling like I'm not working enough to then when I do have a job, I can't, like it consumes me. And I think that's pretty natural, but I do think it sometimes interferes with how I set boundaries or don't set boundaries. Um, and I think when I'm a little bit anxious about a job or a deadline, like I just, I feel like I have to put life on hold until that job is done. And I think that that can be kind of damaging because especially as things get busier, you know, that's the more and more I start to put my life on hold. Um, and I still haven't really figured that out because it's just, it's hard to not be totally focused on like, how do you make the project successful? I guess it's like also fear driven too, you know, like I want to live up to what I've been hired to do. And to do that, like the only way I know is to really let it consume me and let it infiltrate my thoughts so that I come up with ideas and like make sure I think of every issue that might happen or whatever. So I would say I'm really struggling to make personal projects happen right now. Occasionally, just like the old days, I do get an inspiration and I like make it happen that day. Like, for instance, the Absurdia project, I recently was like, how funny would it be to make a sunny side up egg and put it on a yellow plate and put it on a hedge in the neighborhood <laughs> down the street from me? So like random stuff like that, where it's kind of a low effort exercise, like I don't need to find a model. I don't need to like go to a location that I might get kicked out of that kind of thing I've been able to run with lately but I think the stuff that my heart is really in like portraits with set elements in nature that I've been struggling to keep up with because it just it requires this output that isn't always possible on that note too I get so bogged down in the post-production because editing is like the bane of my existence which is kind of ironic because a huge part of my style comes from the edit. That's what I take creative pride in. But it's like so torturous to me to sit at the computers for hours just photoshopping and making things just right. And I would love to outsource that because I feel like it would give me more space for personal projects as well as just life in general. 
but like I said earlier, it's really hard for me to let that go because even when I have tried to train someone on like the basics, how do you teach someone what has taken like 10 years of your trial and error to figure out? For instance, if I want to make a background more even, some people might just color fill the background, but I like to brush over it with a soft semi-opaque brush just enough so that there's still some unevenness, but it looks cleaner. So like it's not black and white. And I <laughs> like, that's kind of funny to say with how colorful my work is, but there's so many subtle details to editing that I feel like are really hard to pass on to someone else because ultimately I, I really feel like my work is not my work without the edit. Like someone else could even be shooting it possibly. And if I edited it, it might still look like my work, you know? So I think that that's a big struggle. It is definitely part of your work. And I love that. It's almost a little bit magical. It's kind of, you can play so much with colors and patterns and a lot of photographers kind of pride themselves in like shooting something and that's mm -hmm. it. But I love that you're pushing it to a point where you're creating almost like a new image sometimes. So tell me a little bit more about it. Yeah, well, I think as a background to this, part of my the importance and the creativity of my editing comes from the fact that I'm self-taught, you know, in photography as a whole, because when I've met photographers or even photo assistants that are like, oh, we have to get it right, right now. I have felt that bit of shame of like, oh, like I wasn't doing it right before in terms of like making the light perfect or, you know, getting everything to, well, okay. I do appreciate like getting everything to be clean. So you aren't like spending annoying time Photoshopping out distractions, but I've had situations on set where someone's like, oh, those highlights are looking a little bit hot. And I'm like, oh, well, I would just crush them down later. Like that's just my style, you know? Cause I, I've never really known lighting. I've learned a lot about it through trial and error, but I wouldn't really know how to fix things the way that teams do on set. But I guess my point in that is what I take pride in with my editing style is the kind of handmade element of it. I don't always want things to be pixel perfect because... I feel like then it goes into this threshold of truly commercial advertising that just doesn't feel like me. I mean, <laughs> I think everything I know about editing and everything that is repeated in my work is stuff that I've done to make up for my technical deficiencies in reality, like shooting in my garage where there's edges of the garage showing um, because you can only shoot so wide or, you know, I don't know what I'm doing with lighting. I mean, this is, I, I know better now what I'm doing with lighting but maybe five years ago there were so many shadows on the seamless and so I would just brush over them because I didn't like that um, rather than fixing it in person so I think like the flawed process I've had of learning Photoshop to give you a sense I <laughs> I wasn't even working with layers until like two years ago I was just changing things destructively not looking back <laughs> for most of my Photoshop journey and then a few years ago, I was like, well, I should probably like be a little bit more organized so that I don't give myself these huge headaches when I need to go back and change something. But yeah, everything I've learned has been just like trying to figure it out. And I honestly have very little patience for like sitting through education when it comes to photography. YouTube videos, I'm like, okay, just get to the point. Like, I just want to know how to change this white object to black or whatever. And it's, you know, for that reason... Maybe that's why editing is such a headache to me because I have a vision that I want to I want to bring to the photo, but then sometimes I struggle with the technical execution of it. So 
the result is this kind of like flawed handmade fix. Now I appreciate and own that about my work because it's what keeps me different from like the pixel perfect commercial photographers. Talking about education, you just made a domestica course and it's making me think about it because I'm going to do it for sure. And now I'm going to, you know, see if you don't take ages explaining things. I'll say, well, I wanted to know how to change this to pink. Why is this taking so long? Seriously, I feel that way. Like I almost feel apologetic about when I teach something. I'm like, I'm sorry if this is boring, but <laughs> I have to say it. So yeah, domestica course. How was it? Tell me about it. How did it come about? It's super cool. Yeah, well, so you may have noticed, like, I did kind of back off educational content within, well, that's not even true, because I released two courses during COVID. I thought I backed off, but I guess I didn't. But I did go through this phase of being like, I just can't keep up with teaching people things like I, I had to devote my energy to just making things. Then this Domestica thing happened. And it was actually right before COVID. So 2020 early um, that someone reached out to me from Domestica. And at the time I was like kind of wary about it more for personal reasons. Like I just wasn't sure if I wanted to commit to like the trip and like the months long of planning everything. And then, so COVID happened and of course things kind of fell to the wayside and then they were trying to make it happen during COVID. And I was like, I'm not comfortable with that. Flash forward, I reached back out to them this past like 2022 and they're big into like expanding into North America right now. So I think they're like anyone, who, I mean, not, not to like undersell myself, but anyone who reaches out from North America, I feel like they're eager to um, start producing a course with them. Basically, it was a pretty cool process. Like it was definitely difficult because it's hard to figure out how you do things that you've never thought about from like a theoretical perspective, like for, like kind of just what I was talking about with the editing. It's like, well, why does my work look like this? Like, what am I concretely doing that gives it this look? Or how do I plan a photo shoot? I had to kind of break it down for myself. And it was actually helpful because it kind of gave me a personal framework. Like I, I approach things kind of spastically sometimes. Like I'm like, oh, we need this, we need this, we need this. And this was like, okay, these are the five components that you need to think about before a photo shoot. I laid it all out for other people. And ironically, it I think helped me. Developing the course was for a while, it kind of felt like the Wild West because like I had a call with the producer, like we had to check in calls every few months, but I was kind of just following their prompts in the meantime. And I was kind of like, is this too much? Is this enough? And I like had to estimate how much time I was going to be talking about it. In the end, it was a really great experience. I shot it in Paris in October, 2022. The team was amazing. Like I would be friends with them if I lived in Paris, like I would hang out with them and just really talented. I felt totally at ease the way they did it. It was, if it just was rolling camera. So like, if you needed to say something again, you would just say it. It wasn't like you had to get it right on the first take or whatever, not to mention like they really helped me actually make the pro like they brought the project that I wanted to show to life really well. Like they got these super cool set pieces and, um, helped supported me with finding the model and the wardrobe and everything. So it was just a really great experience. And I would totally recommend it to anyone else who, any other creatives who like have the chance to work with them. So yeah, eight months later, and I don't envy the person who had to edit my course, because imagine going through all of those hours of talking and they, they condensed it into, I think, three and a half hours of educational material. But 
I haven't even watched through the whole thing yet. Like I've watched bits and pieces and I'm like, okay, that's, I actually forgot I said that, but that's actually pretty valuable to hear. And then other parts I'm like kind of cringing at just personal reasons, but I do think it's a cool opus of education to have in my portfolio, I guess. And it's just like so professionally done that I was glad I decided to do it. Plus, you know, I got a free trip out of it. So that was like one of the coolest parts. Yeah, it's amazing that you did that. And I think it's really cool to see as well how probably very intuitively you do things and like you said it's so interesting that you got to sit down and actually think about your process I think most creatives can relate to this because as you work for years and you just do things you're not always thinking about how you're doing them you just do them and you get your own process and your own ways of doing things and what feels right and most of us are really obviously visuals so it's like it feels right it looks right but why who knows it's okay it doesn't matter but you know it's really interesting actually because I don't know if you I mean you did, so you didn't go to photography school yourself at all. I went to art school, didn't do a lot of illustration. It wasn't, it was for graphic design. And I actually spent most of my time in the photography studio because they had a great studio and I loved it. And I was just always in there. But anyway, my point is, you know how in school, it's not even just in art school, you always need to explain why you do certain things. And I know I used to struggle with it as well with English at school, because you'd have to say, why is it this verb? And explain why. And I was always like, it just, I know it's right. It just feels right. And it's the same with art. They'd be like, why did you do this? Why did you choose this font? Well, I just think it looks amazing and it works. (laughs) I was like, yeah, but that doesn't help us. I was like, yeah, but how do, you know? So I think it's a good exercise to try to understand why we do certain things. Like you said, it's great. So what are like a couple of things that you realized were super essential to your work? Hmm. Well, of course, I talked a lot about color. I think one of the most useful exercises for me was compiling sources of color that inspired me, like whether it was other photographers' work or other artists' work or even architecture, like finding those kind of unusual influences and just like laying the colors all out together from my own work and seeing those palettes. It definitely like illuminated how consistent everything is and like very intentionally, you know, that I work within this certain palette and it very rarely strays from that. And one of the most valuable things for anyone who's looking for like kind of a conceptual edge to their work that I tried to really dive into was how to make things weird. How do you take a portrait and just not make it like your everyday portrait? Like what makes a portrait strange or surreal or eye-catching in some way that's like a little bit out there. And I mean, I, I can't even remember the exact list I made, but like, for example, I remember one of the resources I made for the course was like a list of random objects that you could try incorporating into your photos to like elevate it to that conceptual weirdness. And it was actually fun to make that list because it was like, hmm, what is cool to put in a photo and what is not cool? Like a baguette is cool but a an Altoid tin is not cool. Or like, you know, a certain type of plant is cool if it's like graphic and minimal enough to put in like a cactus, but not a shrub. Well, actually a shrub could be cool. I'm, I'm kind of making it up, but I had to think, define like, why is this, why does this fit with my style? And why would I add it to my photo versus it just doesn't feel right? And I don't think I ever came up with like an explicit answer to that, but I just gave lots of ideas on what those things are or how to get that feeling of surrealism and a little bit of strangeness. 
I was going to say surrealism is definitely the word I was looking for to think about your work and that line that you walk. And I was going to ask you about that when it comes to client work, actually, because, you know, if you're commissioned to do a shoot, do you do the creative direction or it depends? Actually, full disclaimer, Diane and I almost work together because it's making me think about this because that's how I first reached out to you because I was working for one of my clients doing the art direction for a photo shoot and... We almost got to work together and I could have flown to you, to California, to do it. But I think they weren't fully aware of the amount of work they wanted done. But anyway, so my point, yeah. I would love, maybe later, I would love to know what happened with that. Yeah, we can talk about it. So yeah, my question was, how do you walk that line between, you know, doing commercial work, but also infusing some surrealism into it? I would say that that's part of, like when I mentioned earlier that it's taken some time for my work to align with the client, like where I get hired for the work I'd put in my portfolio. I think part of it is they're coming to me in the first place. So there is an expectation there. But then also I say like I have a kind of heavy hand in the pre-production process. For instance, in the last few big jobs I did, the production designers and I became pretty good friends because I basically designed the set. Like there wasn't an explicit set designer. Um, I just sketched some stuff out and I, <laughs> I was laughing because like geometry skills resurged in my life for this last project because I was like, a squared plus B squared equals C squared. Okay, that hypotenuse needs to be at least this. And then we're cutting the floor in half. So that means each piece of linoleum has to be at least this wide and crazy stuff like that. But to keep that edge and that surrealism into the concept, part of it is kind of working with the client or the agency, whatever it may be, to suggest ideas. Often it the way it works is they come to me with their concepts and their mood boards. And then I kind of come back at them with my own interpretation of what they've already done. I think that that's my chance to like push for a concept. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. In fact, I've been forced to do a lot of like what I would consider very bland, redundant work. Like they basically wanted me to redo someone else's image, which is like, Sure. Like I'm hired to do this. It's not going to go in my portfolio, but if you want that associated with your brand, sure. I guess the other chance that I have to make something interesting and surreal happen is like, there's either a moment to kind of collaborate with the production designers on the side where I'm like, could we just have this here in case we have time to use it? Or maybe there's some downtime and I kind of just get a shot that I have in mind and whether they like it or not, who knows, but I get that chance to experiment sometimes. For instance, the last client I had, it's actually just came out recently, um, but I haven't shared it yet, is Welly Bandages. And it's a really fun bandage that for kids that has like all these different colors and patterns. And um, the client was like an absolute dream to work with them. Like that was my, probably my favorite project in a long time because we were just completely on the same page, like down to every single element of the shoot. So that doesn't happen all that often, but I think the stronger your work gets, the more likely it is to happen. And I also feel like agencies sometimes, how do I say this? Sometimes there's a lot of mixed messages when an agency is involved because like the client chose you, like they commissioned you, but the agency has their own like expectations. And sometimes navigating that can be a little bit tricky because it's like, well, am I pleasing the client or am I pleasing the agency and, or am I pleasing myself? You know, like usually I'm a people pleaser. So it's, it's not just about my own expectations, but yeah, I think it's just, 
there's different opportunities to infuse my own voice into a project. And sometimes there's more than others. Sometimes it really is like I'm just following a script and doing the best I can to make it my own. Um, and at that point, it really just comes down to like my unique perspective. And maybe I have some influence on like the colors. But generally, I really like to be a part of the whole pre-production process because that's my biggest chance to make sure those elements are there to play with. Makes sense. I'll have to check out the Willie Bendages thing. You need to send it to me. That sounds really cool. I think it's so interesting as well, like the idea of sometimes we have projects that we don't get to infuse that much of us in there or we don't get to show up when it comes to creative thinking. But like you said, we don't have to show them in our portfolio. They can just stay out there and we don't have to say we did it. It can just be work because we need to pay the bills as well. Right, exactly. And I mean, I actually have a one of my favorite producers says, you know, sometimes it's just if you get 10 photos that you're happy with and they don't even use them, but you get to have them, that's all you need. It's not any more complex than that. And I think sometimes I make the mistake of like attaching myself too much to a commercial job. Like everything has to feel like me. And it's like, well, you know what? At the end of the day, this is my job and I don't need to lose sleep over like a shot I didn't get or like the fact that they made me do something I didn't really want to do. It's fine, you know? And usually there's every shoot, there's always been at least like 10 photos that I really love. So it's remembering that it's not all about your vision all the time. Sometimes it's just about the money. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's talk a little bit about inspiration because obviously you love colour and colour probably is a very strong source of inspiration for you. And I think I read that you also get some inspiration from fine art and you like Matisse and Georgia O'Keeffe and I wanted to know a little bit more so about what inspires you and I was also curious to hear if where you are in the world, California, everybody already knows this because we're obsessed, um, <laughs> is this also, you know, the light and how it feels and the people, is it also an, a source of inspiration for you? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start with that one and come back to the more general inspiration I would say the biggest way California has inspired me is the magic of shooting in the middle of the day is unlike anything else for me. Like, you know, I, in my initial self-taught photography, everyone's talking about golden hour or blue hour or whatever, like early in the morning, late at night or, you know, sunset. Um, But I think maybe by accident or maybe out of necessity, I did a few shoots midday and I realized, wow, this just has that pure California energy to it. I mean, I know like people probably think of California sunsets too, but like something about the optimism and like the way I can edit with low contrast and just that kind of pastel energetic feeling that the middle of the day has, that's really special to me. And I think a huge part of that really just comes down to contrast alone because like shooting at sunset, the shadows are deeper, the blacks are deeper. There's just, you can't edit in the way I'd like to edit. Um, and it just doesn't feel like my work. So middle of the day in California, big inspiration to me. And also just like, there's something about the cliche of California that I find really inspiring. Rolling green hills, although most of the time they're ugly brown and gold, but <laughs> rolling green hills with poppies on them the coast the beautiful blues of the ocean a blue sky with like perfect clouds I think that that's almost the California dream you know maybe maybe more people think of like surfing and the gold rush but 
I don't know. I think of it as like that blue sky and the rolling hills with poppies. And I think something about that almost feels like working with primary colors. Like it it feels so, everyone's seen it before, but somehow it feels so special and inviting. And I don't know. I just, I'm really inspired by that. And this is probably obvious, but like San Francisco architecture and the color palette of San Francisco has really come into play in my work because it just has that kind of Don't even get me started on people who are buying houses in the Outer Sunset District and painting them gray and white. But (laughs) there's that classic like mid-century pastel painted driveway, groomed rounded hedges in San Francisco and Daly City too, that really there's nothing else like that that I've ever found. So that has always been majorly inspiring to me. And I think that that plays into the surrealism too, almost making things feel like they're in a different era or they're maybe timeless, not really 50s, but also not current day. So I would say that California in general has lots of opportunities for that. And I think it's also limiting in that sense, because I do have like these expectations for my settings. And (laughs) there's only so many new spots I can shoot, really. I mean, I still have so much in California to explore, but um, within the Bay Area, it's always like a complete treasure when I find a new location, because I feel like I've been to all of them before. And I mean, ultimately, what it comes down to Like if I'm shooting in nature, I just need a very minimal landscape um, that I will often like decorate with props or whatever, like styling elements. So Ocean Beach in San Francisco is just this perfect, like wide swath of sand with some sand dunes and the light is always perfect for me there. So like you just can't go wrong. And I've shot there a thousand times. And I think that that has challenged me to make it different. Like I've shot my five of a kind series there with the five girls in matching outfits. I've shot like a miniature series where I did this, the set pieces were like a foot tall and I ended up compositing it so that the model looked like she was, you know, like the set pieces were life-sized. So I'm always repeating these locations and finding something new to do with them. I guess that's, that's my take on California. I was going to say, have you been to the south of France? No. You might like it because we have, I'm saying we because part of my family is from Corsica. So Corsica and the south of France have similar architecture and people do paint their houses pastel colours. And the light is quite similar-ish to California. Obviously, it's a bit different and it's older and it's different vibe. But I think, you know, you would be quite inspired by it, I reckon. I'm sure I would be. I would love to. I mean, there's, there's many European places that I've like saved that I would love to shoot at someday. So let's talk a little bit about your dreams and goals for the coming month and years. Mm. What's been on your mind? Well, as I've repeated multiple times now, I would love to get some more personal work going. I think part of the personal work I'd like to try is more video work. And I've had this vision in mind for a while now of doing, making a music video of some sort um, with multiple people dressed the same and like marching on a cliff or something. That's kind of as far as my plan goes right now, but I've just been kind of waiting for the right song to hit me because I get very inspired when I hear a song, the visual comes to me and it can't really happen the other way around. So that's one thing. I would like to transition away from shooting at my house, which I still do for one repeat client and which I sometimes do for myself for like still life shoots because this wall over here, well, it has a table that I just shot something on right now, but it's permanently blank and it's reserved for shooting things against it. Um, And I would really like to like make this a 
legit living room. So that's kind of one of my goals, although it's like easier said than done. In the coming years, there's a lot of locations I've had in mind that I'd love to shoot at. Like there's this, there's these pink salt ponds, I think somewhere in the Caribbean or maybe even Central America, where it's just a mirror of like flat water and these pink mountains of salt. That sounds amazing to me. Um, as well as just all these other, I have like a folder of places to shoot someday that I would love to like get through at some point. Generally, I mean, I almost would say my goal two is to pursue like the tangents of photography like pursue design pursue into like well different types of design like interior design and set design or even like pattern making or something that maybe has lower stakes attached to it kind of like how we started out talking about I would like to just pursue things that don't have strings attached um creatively oh well that all sounds really amazing and I think it'll be so fun to see your creative spirit doing motion because it'll be so cool and it's so nice as well that you can link music to it and be inspired by it yeah that's to me is the part that feels most all-encompassing of my life because like music has played such a strong part without ever going professional for me that like it would feel very harmonious no pun intended for like music and visuals to come together in some professional capacity well this was amazing thank you so much for sharing everything with me and everybody else but it just feels like you and I right now so it's nice and yeah I'm so excited to see what you come up with next I just love your work so much and I'm excited to take the course as well and see what weird things I can put in a portrait which will be fun <laughs> I'll try all the weird things you you definitely have to try a baguette because I, yeah but I that's just weird for me because I'm French you know I don't find it that weird I'd be like yeah well but that's exactly why you have to try it like it has to be elevated into like a non-daily context okay well it's not like I walk around with baguettes because British people don't do good baguettes so I'm just constantly <laughs> complaining about the bread here the bread in the UK is terrible no sorry I don't know why I'm saying that I'll probably edit it out but like you know <laughs> I feel like the bread in France is better. But I'm saying that the bread in the US is worse than oh, yeah. all the other places. So anyway. Oh, of course. So you, yeah. you need a good baguette when you come to yeah. the south of France. And you can go to the boulangerie and take a few weird pictures of French girls with I, baguettes. I would love that. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you want to know more about Mimi, then head out to mimiforcreatives.com and make sure to check the show notes for more details about our guest. I'll see you soon.